Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters is brought to you by Cute Fruit Undies, makers of extremely cute, comfy, and eco-friendly period panties, pads, and briefs. They specialize in period panties with Trump's face in them, and without, if that's not really your thing. Find them at cutefruitundies.com and on Instagram, at cutefruitundies. Today on the show, we talk about Pride Month, Stonewall, the Museum of Transgender History and Art, personal ads, advice, and more with my guests, Chris Vargas and Kelly Rakowski. But first, hello from Los Angeles. I've been volunteering this week at the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, LA Division, and boy, is my voice tired. I'm coaching a band of nine-year-olds called Galaxy of Unicorns, also known by their previous name, Unicorn on the Cob Girls. And the song they wrote and are performing this Saturday at the Troubadour is about bravery and kindness. If you're not familiar with it um, or the format, Rock and Roll Camp for Girls starts on a Monday with about 100 girls ages 8 to 18, some of which have never picked up an instrument in their life. They all show up. We help them form bands. And over the course of the week, they have instrument instruction. They have workshops. They have, um, you know, mentorship with people who identify as female They learn about feminist empowerment, and at the end of the week, they perform an original song that they wrote over the course of the week with their band. And it's in front of a giant audience, usually, that rocks them on. And between you and me and the wall, it's a very thinly disguised self-esteem and empowerment camp for girls. And I believe part of the original mission statement was amplifying voices for social change which I love. And I think I've co-opted into my own mission statement. Anyway, I also taught zines this week to the girls um, in addition to band coaching because Riot Girl zines changed the course of punk history forever and inspired this very camp, which has empowered thousands of girls and non-binary kids across the globe to speak up and have a voice. So huzzah. Anyway, if you're an earshot, I recommend you look up Rock and Roll Camp for Girls closest to your town and either go volunteer, you don't have to be a musician, or go to their showcase. Go to the big show at the end of the week where you can see eight-year-olds say, is Portland ready to rock? You will not regret it. Um, you know, if I may get a little Mark Marin with you, if I may get a little real, I was feeling very blue this month. I was very down in the dumps about, you know, personal business, family business, the news, the things that a person gets down about. And I realized one of my friends came to visit and was like, you know, rock camp here is run by people you know. And I was like, oh my God, duh. Like this is a perfect way to get out of my own head and, you know, change up my frame of mind. And so I volunteered and I volunteered for every job and there's no quicker way to put things in perspective than volunteering with a vulnerable population, especially during these times. If you think you're scared, little kids are 12 times as scared. And if you can be a good role model for them and give back and see things from a different point of view, it's so much better than sitting at home, staring at Twitter and retweeting things. You know, that's why I worked with senior citizens for 10 years. That's why I've been volunteering with Rock Camp on and off for 17 years is there's nothing better and amplifying voices we're not used to hearing in order to impact social change. So 
that's my stump speech for the week, telling you what to do with your life, because I am part Capricorn. But I do hope that you enjoy the show and know that while you're listening to this, I either will be in the middle of or will have just finished singing the song War Pigs with a Black Sabbath cover band in front of a bunch of eight-year-olds during a lunchtime assembly. Enjoy the show. Chris Vargas is the founder of MOTHA, the Museum of Transgender History and Art, and he used to make the web-based sitcom Falling in Love with Chris and Greg, which was, of course, a collaboration with Greg Yeomans. Chris is a video maker and interdisciplinary artist whose work explores the complex ways that queer and trans people negotiate spaces for themselves within historical and institutional memory and popular culture. Chris joined me to answer some advice questions, talk about Pride Month, and tell us more about his upcoming MOTHA events in Portland and New York City. You can find out more about Chris, MOTHA, and his sitcom at chrisvargas.com. Now please enjoy my talk with Chris Vargas. Chris Vargas, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Hi, Nicole. I'm glad to be here. How's it going? It's going really well. We're talking about uh, the Myers Briggs. I know, and I'm Charger Banks, <laughs> aka ESFJ, which is the most codependent um, <laughs> personality type possible. Well, I'm the executive. Uh, is it what did I say? ESTJ, which is the same as Judge Judy. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy and Jar Jar Banks walk into a bar. <laughs> Taylor Swift is also an ESFJ, so I feel like I'm in good company. I honestly so, can see Taylor yeah. and Jar Jar having the same personality type. <laughs> I see. No, I see it. I feel like they, they have, have the, the same, same legs. They have the same I body mean, type. Personality, but physical <laughs> traits are similar. <laughs> are you thinking about Stonewall this Pride Month? I am thinking about Stonewall. I totally am. Can you tell, um, some of my listeners are heterosexuals. Can you give them a rundown of what happened at Stonewall? What are we doing here? Why are we celebrating pride? And, and so, or do you celebrate gay shame? But I guess that's a separate. <laughs> um, so in 1969, um, basically, well, there was this bar in New York. And in July 28, 1969, um, a routine raid occurred on this bar that was like mafia run. All the gay bars were mafia run at that time in the city. And there was payoffs going on to the police to allow them to exist. So there was like a ton of corruption around these gay bars. Um, and uh, unexpected raid occurred that day and the gays weren't having it at that point. Like enough like political energy had like accumulated um, around that point it was you know the late 60s so there was lots of activism happening all over the place around like anti-war stuff like the black panthers lots of feminist organizing so the gays like hadn't gotten in on it yet and in response to this like raid by the police um they rebelled and they threw things they resisted they basically like made yeah they resisted in a way that like hadn't happened at that point and then all you know and then pe and then it was official like people were like 
um, all of a sudden, um, what's the word? Catalyzed? Or, yeah, it was like this, like catalyst for all this, like this organizing in resistance to all this oppression that had been, you know, being experienced for all these years. Well, because before so, then, if yeah. they went in and you were wearing three pieces of clothing, oh, more, more than three pieces of clothing, that didn't match your gender. Or you had to be wearing, you had to be wearing three pieces of clothing that matched the sex you were born with. For to, yeah. and otherwise, you would get arrested. Yeah, totally. For yeah, cross dressing, to have yeah, at least three clo- pieces of clothing associated with your sex. And so yeah, you were so in like a bow. Like, you had to wear like a bow on your head. <laughs> Like a spangly bra and a skirt mm-hmm. if you had a vagina or else. Yeah. Um, I just read this this book about Stonewall. It's so fascinating. Really? What's um, it called? It's called Stonewall. Oh, and it's basically like a kind of oral history uh, profiling like five different people that were there, but like their, their political life leading up to that point And then afterwards, so mm. my head is pretty full of details. Sorry for, it wasn't a very distilled description of the events taking place. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, and then how do you feel about pride personally? You, Chris Vargas. How do I feel about gay pride? <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> <laughs> well, having lived in the Bay Area for a long time, seven years or so, um, I don't know. I, I got pretty jaded. It's pretty gross. It's like, I mean, yeah, the parade, the parade itself is just like corporate float after corporate float. So that feels disgusting. Um, but like, I feel like Pride got, I remember Pride getting pushed like earlier and earlier in the week. It was like, no, it was all about like Saturday Dyke March. That was the real pride because it was all like, um, you know, no corporate sponsorship. It felt like more grassroots. And then that started to feel like disgusting Mardi Gras, like puke fest in the street. <laughs> <laughs> and then like Trans March Friday was the the one, you know, that yeah. was like worth the, or before all the like bridge and tunnel came in for Saturday. <laughs> it was so sad. I mean, but it was like the more local crowd and you got to actually see, run into your friends and that felt better. And I don't know. And then that started being fun, but I'm also like, I realized I was aging out of the party vibes of pride. And then, you know, and then Greg and I started like to do the old person pride things like go at 7am on Saturday to put up the pink triangle on like, on that hill, <laughs> you know, overlooking San Francisco. So I don't know. I mean, I sometimes I feel like such warm and lovely feelings about pride, like seeing cute things happen, like young love. And then, you know, right next to them is like disgusting puking in the gutter, <laughs> uh, Bud Light, Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we just had in LA, we just had Dyke Day, which I thought was really fun. Last year on Dyke Day, I was at my friend's straight wedding. So this year being in here for Dyke Day was fun and we solicited advice questions. I actually have a few for you. Um, yeah, the, the corporate thing is pretty intense. And I just, I guess a lot of pride parties, I think focus so much around drinking that as a bit of an old Fogarty, it's harder for me to get it up. For that kind Same. of thing. But I had a great time at Dyke Day. You know, people were like, what was so great about it? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, 
There was henna hand painting. There was a balloon toss. <laughs> there were popsicles in multiple boom boxes. Like, I don't know what to say except for it was fun to be around because it was in the middle of the day. So it was fun to be around a bunch of, you know, dyke and dyke adjacent people uh, and their dogs and babies. But with that, like, there's like the hookup vibe is at a lower simmer than when you go to like the nighttime thing where everyone is there to like get wasted and wear as little clothing as possible and like hump on the dance floor. <laughs> it's kind of like the same reason I used to in yielden times, I used to host breakfast shows at my house because it was like the same kind of entertainment and function, except for there was like less pretense to it. So it was still like a community experience, except for there was less pretense and less humping, yeah. which I appreciated. Do you remember? I was just reminiscing with Greg about how like the only dancing that that had occurred that occurred at like some point in our lives like some age in our lives was only humping <laughs> on the dance floor like like people like were too insecure to like dance on their own it all had to be like anchored to some like <laughs> sex object <laughs> yeah hump <laughs> and no one does any other kind of dancing you know for a while my thing was I'm just going to out myself as a nerd for for the first time. For a while, my thing was to, like, be a part of or lead synchronized dancing at gay clubs in Portland. So lead everyone in one kind of dance, like a Macarena kind of, but, like, a different, like, I don't remember what they were called, but there were different ones that had, like, ten steps, and you could teach a few friends. Or, like, even the fucking, what is it called? Like, the electric slide. Because it's mm-hmm. so weird that no one is doing it, but then they see like four people doing it and it looks kind of interesting. So then you could get like, you know, 20 people to all be doing the same weird dance. Like you could stand on a speaker wearing your sexy clothes and show everyone how to do like one synchronized dance. And then instead of everyone just like getting pregnant, everyone is doing the same kind of weird synchronized dance together. And I think that's kind of fun. I like the yeah. weird like hive mind. Like, I like watching a Pete Seeger documentary and hearing a million people sing at the same time. And I like being part of anything where everyone is doing the same dance at the same time. I like that. I'm into it. I have a friend here in Bellingham who, uh, and she taught me like a middle school dance that she learned and did. Um, and now we pull it out at parties and it's a real crowd pleaser. Oh, yeah. Um, I would love, I'd be trying to learn the steps. Yeah, it's really complicated too. It's like a lot of footwork and this, and then a lot of it's it's fun. Well, like my friend Kurt and I just started this like ten step um, handshake when we see each other that involves a lot of clapping, and then I mean everybody stops and looks and they're like, "Whoa! Like, how did you guys both know that?" And it's fun to remember that we have this secret thing. I just like that more. I mean, the, the times when I was engaging in hump dancing on the dance floor, I just had to be so drunk to do it. So now as an older person who's more in touch with my body and I'm like, oh, no. Ooh, because yeah. like there would be 75 cent well night at CC Slaughter's, <laughs> the gay bar. <laughs> and all the there was a time in Portland. I'm just going to go in the way back machine. There was a time in Portland where the lesbians decided to like that we would go for 75 cent well drinking it because we're nothing if not cheap the ones that I knew mm-hmm. we would go to the gay bar and colonize it for this one night. But then it became a weird thing because some, some gay men like would like touch the butt of like a femme girl or something. And then they would be like, Wah! and then some girls tried to get 
the gay bar to have a safer space policy. And they were like, no, we don't even want you guys there. Like, we're not going to make a safer space policy because we don't even because this is like a, a place for gay men to meet gay men. And you're just like a bunch of dykes coming here on Tuesday nights, ruining the vibe. So essentially, we all stopped going around the same time. But I have the worst hangovers of my life from 75 cent well drink night. <laughs> 75 cents. Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh, gross. Did you see Ocean's 8? No. No. I was just reminded because one of their, like, um, scams before they, you know, joined forces with the big group was to water down well vodka. Weird which, scam. Yeah, I know. It didn't sound like, that didn't seem to make that person qualified to be on this major heist team, but... <laughs> I'm like, I water, I water down stuff. Can I be part of a heist team? I have probably, like, a Ziploc <laughs> bag in my purse so I can get some food from an event. Can I be on the team? <laughs> no, yes. Do you want to steal some jewels? Wait, I have a few advice questions for you that I picked up at Dyke Day. Okay. This then I, this this is scrolled scrawled on a card by people that were probably suffering sunstroke. So you know, be gentle with the wording. What is the best way to visibilize lesbians? I don't know if I understand the term visibilize here. I don't know if they mean if they personally want visibility as a lesbian or if they mean lesbians as a whole. Mm-hmm. So we have to interpret it as we may. Visibilize? I don't know. Like where? In public? I don't know. On TV? Sew a pink triangle to your garment. <laughs> <laughs> visibilize i don't know it sounds like they're wanting more like representation in public and in media possibly i don't know that's what i go to when i think about visibility um i think it's Uh, a it's an interesting time to be lesbian identified in particular because it seems so binary and a little bit exclusionary of the wide breadth of gender expression mm -hmm. you know i don't know i think do you, do you think it's not a good time to be a lesbian right now? It seems like a hard time for me to outwardly crow that you're a lesbian. Because I think that some people, say like 15 years ago, some people that a lesbian might be attracted to in this day and age may identify as something besides a lesbian, right? They may mm-hmm. identify as non-binary or, you know, gender fluid or agender or like some like someone that in the olden day, if you were like, here's your two choices, they'd be like, I guess I'm butch ish but now if that person identifies as a as a different gender that's not on the binary then are they still encompassed by you being a lesbian and if so does that water down their identity i don't know do you know what i mean yeah yeah totally it's an it's an interesting time i mean i'm not i'm still i still think it's it's fun and i still believe in i still believe in lesbian support and lesbian bars and things but i had to kind of go more towards a queer moniker Mm-hmm. in this day and age well yeah i feel that way myself i feel like i've always liked the like amorphous queer you know i feel like it encompasses a lot but i don't i love lesbian culture i love lesbian history lesbians are so interesting i feel spiritually yeah. connected to lesbians i also um, feel spiritually connected to lesbians <laughs> and i, and I, I love- appreciate lesbian like lesbian bars mm-hmm. and the all, only ones i know of are also inclusive but like temporary lesbian bar in Portland. Like I'm not talking yeah. like t- turf land. 
I'm talking like temporary lesbian bar in Portland or the horrible lesbian bar that used to exist there called the Egyptian Club, also known as the E-Room. The dancing part was called the Tomb. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but the best way to visibilize lesbians, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Celebrate lesbians in general. I don't know. I would say celebrate your lesbian herstory. Boost up mm-hmm. older lesbians. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the I best know. way to visibilize it. Cause they, Go to the library. <laughs> Look at some microfiche. Find your history. <laughs> Can I tell you, I mean, this is like, you're not going to be knocked out of your chair by this. But I feel like butch lesbians never had a moment. I feel like, like in media, trans people are having a moment. Like America is like rushing to catch up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and. But uh, and then like, you know, they had a moment where they kind of accepted lesbians and they had their They had a moment, a strong moment with gay men where they're like gay men. They're just like us. Mm-hmm. They're just married. They just want to have like a two earner household and like maybe adopt a kid. But I feel like butch lesbians never actually had a moment of, of yeah. acceptability in the public eye. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's their time. Butch lesbians. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I think I think America's ready for butch lesbians on screen. I would love uh, that. I know. It's true. I don't know what to say about that. That makes me sad. I love butch lesbians. I also love butch lesbians. Okay, here's a question. Harken back to college time. How do I tell my parents that I'm not out, that I'm not out to? I'm not out to my parents. How do I tell them that I want to go to an LGBT graduation ceremony instead of a family trip with them? How so old are they? This person's like just graduating college. They're 21 years old. They want to go to an LGBT, oh, a lav grad, a lavender graduation. Yes. They um, want to go to a lavender graduation, but their parents want them to do something else that day. And they are afraid to tell their parents what they're skipping it for. Uh-huh. Um lie i'm clearly the worst person to ask for advice so i would say lie to your parents continue to lie you don't need to come out coming out is really overrated (laughs) i mean it's not i mean there's a time and place maybe maybe this person is not ready to come out to their parents so in which case some vague answer about why they don't want to go out go on this family vacation i don't know i would have to know if they're ready to come out I think that they're they're not. not. They're not. I told them, you know, the more you explain a boundary, the weaker it becomes. So I said, just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I have, I have other graduate, you know, other graduation plans that day. I have other plans that day. There's more graduation stuff happening this week, so I can't go, but I would love to go with you blank and offer them a different week or a different day. And if they inquire, Mm -hmm. just be dodgy and just like, oh, just more graduation stuff. Yeah. Or if they're ready to start like planting the seeds towards coming out, like I probably did with my mother. They're like, I want to go to support a gay friend of mine at their lavender graduation. And then, you know, the parents probably won't ask questions if they're not ready to hear it. But what's your gay friend's name? Nicole Georges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Your advice is good. Just, just say I have, I have this other graduation stuff to do. I can't go on a trip, but I will, let's go next week. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll catch up with you. I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to a fisting seminar. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Do you think coming out's overrated? I mean, I feel like it's nice because then you can speak to people without having a, a secret wrapped around your neck. Um, or sitting on one. You're not <laughs> sitting on a secret <laughs> without sitting on a secret, but it's kind of, to me, it just felt like a big stressful deal. Yeah. I mean, depends on like the proximity to your parents or, you know, the people that you're coming out to. Like for me, yeah, it took a while for me to like say the word transgender to my, my mother. Um, what was the, was there like a moment that made you be like, now has to be the time to do it? Yeah. Cause I started hormones. So I was like, I got to just get this over with, but like, you know, I didn't live near her. It felt like I needed to figure out for myself. I wasn't ready to talk to her about it, have that conversation. So I put it off. I mean, I put it off for a long time, but, um, I, I waited definitely until I was not at all financially entangled with my mom. Yeah. Like I needed to have a lot of stuff in place so that if she like, freaked out and wanted to disown me, I wouldn't, I would still have a support system around me and I would still be able to support myself and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I just don't believe like you have to be honest at all costs. Like sometimes, I mean, you have like survival concerns that you need to figure out before you potentially like destroy a relationship. You know, if that feels, if it feels like there's potential there. Yeah. yeah. And this person, I just, I'm just, I'm only making assumptions about this person based on the fact that their parents are close enough. They want to go on a family trip. I assume their parents may have some financial stake in their education or their life. And so I think they need to like get as clear from that financial entanglement as they can before they come out. Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters brought to you by Cute Fruit Undies, Mary Pinson, Gabriel Song Darling, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. I have an advice question that pertains to you. Dear Sagittarian Matters, My partner and I have been together for eight months and just graduated from the same grad program. We make similar work. We are applying to and being offered the exact same residencies, exhibitions, jobs, etc. How can we support each other when one gets an opportunity both of us wanted? Any tips for existing in the same field, but also having parts of the relationship separate from our work? Thank you. That's tough. Greg and I, I don't know, I felt in some way um, like that was part of the tension in our project, which was like, I was, there was this perceived like um, recognition that I was getting like more than he was getting. So that was actually like a big point of contention for us. I don't know. I would say one of you needs to stop being an artist. There's no way to work that out. Just kidding. I don't know. I mean, I really like believe in, you know, the call your girlfriend shine theory uh, approach. Like 
if one of you rises, both of you rises, or one of you shines, both of you shine, it's a reflection. Like, if, I don't know, to use another analogy, like, if the waters rise, like, and the boat rises with the waters, I don't know, I'm using that analogy wrong, like, you're, you're both lifted up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think acknowledging that that very real issue that it feels like there's these scarce resources in, in like the art worlds that like means, you know, only a few people will get the thing that everybody wants is like hard, but it doesn't mean that you are like pit against everyone else. It just means like, um, yeah, it just means that it sucks, but you don't have to use it to, turn against each other yeah no i mean it's totally hard it's something that i feel like i still deal with but i actively like intentionally work work against those feelings of envy and jealousy when i see like somebody who i feel does similar work or exists in the similar art world that i do getting something that i don't um yeah because i don't want to be a bitter jealous person it was just meant for them yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's a numbers game too sometimes. I mean, yeah, your previous returning guest, Beth Pickens, has so much to say about that. And My friend of the show, Beth Pickens. Yeah, and I love her book for that. You know, it's like just throw your hat, continue to throw your hat in the ring. It's a numbers game. Like, if you just continue to try, you, you will get something. Yeah. Um, will you tell me about your new project? new-ish project Martha yeah um yeah I do this thing so yeah I started off making videos and then I turned against video kind of not really but I I operate under this project name called the Museum of Trans History and Art and that started in 2013 basically coincided with the end of mine and Greg's project um and it's a thing that I do to do a like various projects under so well how did you um, what was the impetus for it like what was the what was the instigating incident that made you be like this is or what made you be like this needs to exist yeah um so i started making this poster which um maybe you've seen it's like a collage of like over 250 trans or trans adjacent people um and I put a call out and asked people to submit names. So I was making, yeah, of their like trans heroes or just gender like icons in general. And I did it like knowing that I wouldn't um, kind of edit out weird submissions because I wanted to like honor all the various ways people are inspired by other people's gender or like, or look to like certain people as models for their own gender expression and um i did it and created this this name the museum of trans history and art and um it was at a moment in 2013 where there was a lot of like kind of institutional recognition of trans experience like in mass media in academia in art world in the art world so like zachary and reese had were in in the whitney biennial like the Arizona University of Arizona, like started a transgender studies quarterly journal, which like, you know, 
legitimize the field. And then, um, yeah, what was it like? Orange is the new black. It was like even pre tipping point, right? Yeah. That was like a big moment. And it felt like an interesting moment to like, think about the ways that trans people get, um, recognized by these like institutions of legitimacy and how our stories get like disseminated in like big ways. Um, and that's what, and that's what, why I did this project. Cause I thought it was an interesting moment to like, think about those things rather than just like, just like run for the door for, you know, like run towards like the spotlight of trans inclusion. I was like interested in what's gained and lost by this kind of recognition. What is lost by this kind of recognition? Well, I mean, I think trans as an identity category has been allowed to be really slippery, you know, and like, you know, for example, in the nineties, trans like queer transgender was more of an umbrella term. And I think now it becomes a more stable identity. It means somebody that crosses over into from one place to another. And, you know, the non-binary kind of like sin as the more like, expansive term you know so i think over time it's fairly new as a term but like over over just the time in it, of its existence it's been allowed to be very slippery but like once it becomes like institutionalized it all of a sudden becomes a stable thing that we have to understand like an inside and an outside of um so and you know creating a museum around an identity category all of a sudden like you are the person who is like saying what is and isn't transgender and same, you know, with like all these other institutions that I mentioned, art, academia, mass media, um, you know, so I feel like that's what's lost is lost the sort of like this expansiveness. Yeah. And then what, what form is the project taking right now? Like how has it changed since you started it? So you started with a poster and this idea mm-hmm. and here we are five years later. Yeah, so I did like a ton of things before before the thing that I'm doing right now, which is a series of exhibitions. But like, I did a ribbon cutting ceremony to start. I did like a uh, an award cycle, <laughs> which ended in fabulous disaster. It was like a, an online like voting, a nomination and voting award system that Motha in charge of. What is that? People got mad. What What do you mean? What 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 happened? Is there a scandal? There was a tiny... Like, we, we need a little bit of scandal on the podcast. There's just, there's not enough. Yeah. Um, so I, it was modeled after this, these art awards that this other artist had, had done. Um, Rob Pruitt, who is actually the artist who appears in the work of art reality television um, show. Yeah. But he did this, yeah, this like participatory uh, like award thing where you nominate people under different categories. And so Moffat had its own categories, like basic ones, like artist of the year, performer of the year. And then it was like, um, artist of the year, like too busy surviving category, artist of the year, like hermit category and, you know, transition vlog (laughs) category. Um, you know, and once you like set up something like that, where like people nominate and then it becomes a popularity contest, I don't know, it's kind of upsetting for people, which is understandable. So, you know, people came for me a little bit. And then how did you respond to people coming for you? Mm. Did you just take the voting down? Did you go at the awards? Did you clap mm. back like Roxanne Gay? I, I, 
I don't think I did. I think I was too scared and I was like, I'm just going through with this. Yeah. Fuck it. And then I'll never do it again. Sorry. So what happened? But, I mean, in, in the, but I know in, in the project, I felt like I had covered my ass because I made it an, an impossible thing. I made it like in order to fully count or in order to vote, you have to research every single person in every, co- every person in every category, which was, you know, in some categories there was like a hundred people, you know? <laughs> So it became this impossible thing. And then even, and then even with the like language, when I um, announced the winners, it was like, this means nothing. It means as much as you want it to mean. Um, and then I put out like a form letter, letter of recommendation for anybody to use for whatever they applied for. They just like inserted their name and category that they were nominated in. Oh my God. I love that. Well, uh-huh. I'm so interested in your, also the idea of legitimizing art. You know, like the institutions that legitimize art and why and how and what that means. Because, you know, on the podcast, we talk a lot about like accomplishment versus success as a reason Mm -hmm. for doing something. Or, you know, what if you thought about your work as an accomplishment as opposed to, you know, external measures of your success? Um, Yeah. Well, so what are you doing now? So um, you have some big things coming up. What I'm doing now? Yeah, I do. I've been doing these series of exhibitions called Trans Here Street in 99 Objects, <laughs> um, which is like a kind of a art and archival exhibition series, um, blending the two. And um, I'm about to open the fourth and fifth one. So every exhibition will like accumulate 99. And it's allegedly telling a story of trans history, which it is totally not. It is and it isn't. It's acknowledging how that it is a hard history to tell because it's been a marginalized identity. It's been a slippery identity for so long. Um, but um, the next one's coming up. Um, one's at the Portland Art Museum. And, and um, I made a wallpaper of 90 trans movie draw- movies that are going to be um, wallpapered on the wall. Um, that will mimic the experience of walking into like a video store, but all the titles are trans. And then, um, and then I have a looping program of like contemporary art videos. Where's Um, those are both going to be at the Portland art museum starting in July. In July, the opening is on the 20th. And if people go to the opening, what happens? Um, You can get some posters. So the drawings will also be uh, takeaway posters and you can look at nine videos and hang out with me and other artists. Um, and then there's like some Vogue ball that's happening that night too, which is not part of my opening. Some what? Oregon. Some like voguing event. There's voguing in Portland, <laughs> Oregon? I know. Okay. I had no idea. I've never, I've literally never heard of voguing in Portland. And maybe that just shows me. That just shows who I am. I mean, I've, I've seen voguing in Los Angeles. I've seen a lot of voguing in Los Angeles and in New York City, but never Port- Portland, Oregon. How exciting. I know. I'll let you know how it goes. It should be exciting. It's called the Kiki Ball. Oh, I hope you win. <laughs> the House of Lepano. Um, And oh. then you have something at the New Museum in New York. Oh, yeah. And then so I'm leaving very soon to start a residency um, connected to the New Museum for the fifth installment of this project, which which is going to focus on Stonewall, the mythic Stonewall as the inception of 
gay activism. Cool. So what does that mean? Like what, do you already have all of your research done and this is just for you to metabolize that into an art piece or are you doing more research while you're there? What are you doing? Um, I haven't really even started. So what I'm doing is, um, yeah, I'm basically, so if you go to Stonewall, you'll, you go, you can see a park right in front of it, right? And there are these sculptures there by this artist, George Seagal, and they're called the Gay Liberation Monument. And they're there to memorialize Stonewall, but the sculptures themselves are pretty sad. Um, and I don't know, people don't like them. I don't like them. They're, yeah. They're Why? Depressing. What do they look like? They're like these. There's there are two couples, um, two gay guys and two um, um, lesbians, and the lesbians are sitting on a bench, and they just look. They're like bronze, but then there's white lacquer on them, so they're just these skinny, spent white, sad homosexuals. Um, and. And that's what's there to like monumentalize Stonewall. So what I'm doing is doing like recreating a maquette of that park in the gallery itself. And then I'm going to organize a bunch of artists to uh, make new proposals for monuments for the space. Ooh. And I know. Is this just part of your installation or are these proposals that could genuinely be built outside of the installation? Mm, they probably won't be built because of like, you know, city rules and regs, but I don't know. They're probably, no, they're just proposals at this point. Kelly Rakowski is the human being behind the Instagram account called Personals a vintage-style way of dating modeled after the text-only personal ads of the not-so-distant queer past. Kelly is currently trying to fundraise to turn this account into a full-fledged, inclusive queer dating app, so I wanted to have her on the show to talk about it. While she was here, Kelly gave us some tips about etiquette for if you see someone on personals that you like, and she told us how to post our own personal ads on her Instagram account. Please enjoy my talk with Kelly Rakowski. Kelly Rakowski from Personals, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. What is your sign? I am a Taurus. Oh, great. Yeah. I don't know if we've had, we've never had one before, I think. What? <laughs> That's crazy. I know we've had Scorpios, Geminis, fellow Sagittarians, Capricorns, <laughs> Virgos, Libras. I can't think of any Taurans. Well, here I am. Great. Um, okay. So we are here on the occasion of personals having a Kickstarter that I, and I really encourage people to promote it or to support it because then you're making an app. Please. Yeah. I, this whole Kickstarter experience has been like a whole other experience. (laughs) It's very hectic. It's like a full-time job on top of running the personals. Um, But I'm, it's because the Instagram has become so popular and it's just me as one person running 
I'm like a human dating app using Google Docs. <laughs> and it's like kind of insane amount of work. And um, I just want people to be able to use something 24 hours a day, post it whenever you're feeling like you want to post a personal and then um, Instagram has been, like, blocking all the geotags. So I want people to be able to sort by location. Mm. Uh, yeah, which will be very helpful. And um, I also want to have a place where people can identify who they are and what kind of relationship they're looking for. And this will all be in the app. This is very <laughs> exciting. But let's backtrack. I jumped. I jumped right ahead. Will you tell us about how did personal start? Like what inspired you to make an Instagram account that was for people to find each other? Yeah, I because I found these amazing old issues of On Our Backs magazine, which is an er lesbian erotica magazine. It started in the 80s, and I think it ran through the mid-2000s. But the, the issues that I found online were from the 80s and 90s. And in the back of every issue, it was edited by Susie Bright, these personal ads. And they were just the funniest, sexiest, smartest personals you've ever read. And I became obsessed with them. And I screenshot every single personal that was living in this online archive because I heard rumors that they were going to take them down because for whatever this online archive didn't have permission from on our backs to publish them. So I, I've organized like hundreds of these personal screenshots. Bless <laughs> you as a historian. As a her story. <laughs> it was like the one thing I really had to be taken action on because they were so amazing um and actually they are it was taken down so you can't access them anymore do you have a favorite kind of genre of historical personal of i mean they're all just something and i even have um a hashtag that you can look up it's hashtag on our backs personals on instagram and i've use those to organize all of them oh wonderful yeah so you can check out the hashtag instagram didn't take that down yet so, so you so you saw these personals and you were like why don't we have something yeah, like this it was just like oh we can do this why not <laughs> it's so easy <laughs> and so i just kind of did it as an experiment and how i how i organize it is i um Use Google Docs, a Google form. I You have a place to write your header, um, your text, and then state your city, your location, and your Instagram handle. And that just, like, feeds into the spreadsheet. So that's kind of how I'm running it right now. But So when you started, you were kind of incorporating these into your Herstory account. Yeah, that's true. And so people yeah. who just were interested in, like, you know, lesbian history or queer <laughs> queer archives. Yeah. It uh, kind of overtook the Herstory account for a while because I was just kind of backlogged with all these personal ads. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I decided I definitely needed a separate account 
for the, these personals, which I'm glad I made. Oh my gosh. Well, I, the only thing I liked, I liked in the beginning, it was kind of a self-selecting group of history nerds, like, <laughs> <laughs> like queer history nerds Yeah, who were like, oh, you know, who also valued the kind of earnestness of those on our backs personals too yeah i i mean it's so fun to look at and then to see your friends personals pop up on the personals page and be like oh i know that person <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a small world so how many yeah. personals have you published oh i mean now i so i think on the instagram like the personals instagram i can look it up it's um i would say it about over 1400 I mean it says 1494 but some of those are not personals <laughs> and then there was like the time before when they're on first three. Oh my gosh so you are an app you are a robot in your apartment <laughs> I'm a human app so yeah when does the kickstarter end and how much money do you need to make Yes. So the Kickstarter, I'm at day, I have 21 days left. It ends, that sounds like a long time, but it ends on June 13th. July 13th. Or July 13th. Started June 13th. Ends July 13th. I need to raise $40,000, which is a lot of money. Um, but it's really expensive to build an app and then I'm, I'm working with developers that are like, and a designer and like whatever other maintenance fees, like hosting and stuff like that. Um, so it's, I'm shopping around for developers now, but have been in talks with really great people. So, yeah. And well, what do people get if they donate to the Kickstarter? Besides the good feeling that they're supporting something completely independent for their community. Thank you. Yes. Um, They are getting those great feelings and the karma and like, yeah, we're building something. But also at the the $10 or more donation, you'll get advice from me, relationship advice, love advice from me and my friend Chelsea Fairless who runs the Every Outfit on Sex in the City Instagram account. Um, that's one of the rewards. Um, other things, I have donations from Other Wild, the slogan, the slogan towel that we designed last summer. It's all these gay, queer slogans from the 80s, 90s that are really great. Um, also, my friends just donated their queer improv class which is great. And uh, some art that just got donated and my friend from Sweet Flag Shop. And I don't know, there's like a cool bunch of things. Some things already went, but. So it's growing and growing, the pile of stuff. Yeah, I I keep, yeah, you can add rewards, which is cool. Instagram, as I go, I'm adding more and more rewards. But my favorite one, the most lesbian award (laughs) reward is I will take you on a gluten-free dyke picnic. Oh, my God. In Park Slope. In I'll go shopping at the Park Slope Food Co-op because I'm a member. And then I'll prepare a gluten-free meal. Mm-hmm. And we can picnic 
in the park at Prospect Park. Oh my god! How much do people? <laughs> what what kind of reward level are we talking about? Dollar. $500? That's no problem. I want you to know that one time I had a benefit. My teeth were all rotting out of my head, and I had a benefit. And one of the things was that somebody could have lunch with Snow White and Pee Wee Herman. Because I had a Snow White costume, and my friend Mary had a Pee Wee Herman costume. You know what? We didn't end up doing it. I still know the person that won. We didn't have- Pee-wee's girlfriend got weird and wanted to come. And I was like, no, it's not Pee-wee plus Pee-wee's, like, civilian girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) It just turned into some weird thing and then scheduling. But that was one of the rewards was, like, go go to lunch with Snow White and (laughs) Pee-wee. I love that. I feel like I should do something like that again. But now I feel like I really need to go, like, fly to Missoula where that person lives now and bring my Snow White outfit or my my shark costume or something. Kat, I remember you. Um, what should people do if they want to post a herstory person? Or it's all, just personals. The herstory part is shh, cut out of it now so that it's more encompassing yeah, I, of everybody. I I decided I, I cut out the herstory part to herstory personals because I want to de-gender um, the, the whole, the whole um, operation. I want it to be open to women, queer trans people, binary, gender non-conforming, X. So it's open to all those people. And that's why I changed the name. I think that is wonderful. So how can people submit their personals right now? Well, right now, I'm the open call, it's always once a month. And the next open call will be in July. And it will last about two days in early July. I haven't figured out the dates yet. Um, the other way you can support the building of the app and submitting an ad is um, I have one of my rewards. If you do- donate $25, then you'll get your pers- summer love personal. Um, and it's so you can find your summer love. And your personal will post in July as well. Um, but you wouldn't, you won't fill it out until after the Kickstarter is finished on July 13th. Oh, great. Do you you have like a normal job and a normal life and you just do this? I do. I do have a normal job, but they're so, it's such a cool, flexible, I'm a photo editor. I work as a permalance person and I don't have to be in the office. It's my schedule is very like as long as I get my job done, I can kind of work in and out. So I've been there four years. Everyone in my office knows what I'm doing and is so supportive, which is amazing. So that's been really great. And lastly, we how many people have contacted you to tell you that they met from personals? Oh my God, so many, so many, even like, my good friend just went out last night and made out with someone that they met on personal. And this morning I woke up to a DM that was like, hey, just want to let you know I'm about to fly to Montreal to meet someone. Oh, my God. It's like all the time. Like that Instagram is on fire. It's like... Seriously, if you really want, everyone is down. 
If you want to meet someone, you have to write a personal and please donate to my Kickstarter. This is so great. Yes. Well, oh, do you have any etiquette tips for people? If if they see someone's personal on there, because now they're going to go to the Instagram page and they want to DM or they see they see one they like. Yeah. So I when you should definitely DM people, follow. It's all a very friendly community. If you're commenting on their post, if they someone wrote a personal and you like it and you want to comment, just tag their name because then they'll definitely see it. So they write your cute message, but then tag their name. Otherwise, they have to keep checking in. I mean, that's fine. They probably do all the time. But be like totally DM. And I try to remind people to check their DMs because if you're not following, you know, you don't see everyone's. But it seems to be like, I think, self explanatory. And people really know how to work the Instagram <laughs> slide into the DM stitch. <laughs> so. And I also want to make sure that people know that the Instagram, once I make this app, which will be really pro. Like a stripped down, like bare bones version, which is going to be great because it's just text, you know, very raw, very cool, very edgy. But the Instagram is not going away. So that will the Instagram will always complement this app. Mm -hmm. You'll log in through your Instagram handle. I'm not I'm making sure that trolls can't get in there. Ooh. So it's still going to be like complicated by Instagram, but I think it's definitely important for us to get off the Facebook run regulated platform. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Kelly Rakowski, thank you so much for everything you do. Thanks for administering. You, <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. For inviting me. No problem. I think I had you on my list a long time ago before, and I, you know, I always need a reason for, you know, a reason for the season. And I was like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> Let's see if we can get people to go there. So how can they find your Kickstarter? How can they find your Instagram? Yeah, so you, you can find my Instagram at underscore personals underscore. And there's a link in the bio, as they say, and that will take you to the Kickstarter. And if you search on Kickstarter search for personals app and it will come up wonderful all right thanks so much for being on the podcast i feel like you're you're doing well by your torin your torin brethren (laughs) sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by panyo georges our theme music is composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs of the band bouquet thank you for listening and i'll see you next time